Welcome to Podcast Vlogging Tips and Tricks with Alex Merced. On this podcast, we're going to talk about podcast hosting, podcast recording, promoting, and monetization. We'll also interview podcast hosts about what works and what doesn't work in the podcasting world. If you enjoy the show, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash alexmerced. Also, if you need hosting for your podcast or your website, head over to libertydeal.info to find out about great deals along with special benefits for taking advantage of those deals. Thank you very much. Hey, everybody. This is Alex Merced. Welcome to another episode of Podcasting and Vlogging Tips and Tricks. Now, last month, we had Mark Clare from the Lions of Liberty talk a little bit about his podcast and sort of how his setup works. Today, I have another podcaster from one of my favorite podcasts, The Remzo Republic. I have Remzo Martinez here to talk about The Remzo Republic. How you doing? Alex, always doing great, man. Good to be here. Yes. Now, tell us a little, first we'll start off, talk a little bit about sort of what's the premise of the podcast um, and sort of the origin story, like how, how, where did the idea came from, how it got started, etc. So the great thing about podcasting is it's actually, the concept of it's a lot older than people really think, because for about, you know, a good half of the 20th century, you had something called the Fairness Doctrine. And the Fairness Doctrine basically said that for every partisan or, you know, political program on radio that has a specific agenda, you have to have something that's counterbalancing that. And because of that, it really stifled a lot of libertarian and conservative talk radio up until the late 80s. You see, Rush Limbaugh was one of the first real political talk show hosts to come out of the Fairness Doctrine when it was removed. And that's why, since that's been gone, you've seen just a boom in conservative radio that's followed us even to right now. Now, the thing about that is the left, they've tried their own radio shows throughout the country. You might have some regional radio shows where you might have a specific progressive or liberal talk show host, but the left really sucks when it comes to that. So what they need to do is they needed to actually kind of lock in on a market that really wasn't something that a lot of conservative listeners were jumping into because they already had radio, FM and AM. I think Rush Limbaugh and Mark Levin are some of the few people that syndicate still through AM radio as well to make sure that they're really hitting people in flyover country. So when you had the ability to make podcasts in 2005 and then Apple made GarageBand, which allows you to actually just you know use that free software to make podcasts on your MacBook Air or MacBook computer, it really gave the left a way to come in and start tapping into new audiences. A lot of younger people, a lot of people that, you know, they, they want more entertainment value of their shows. So the left really kind of jumped on the podcast market, but it was really good for us as well because what they did when they opened up their own outlet for their own talk programs, they also gave something great to libertarians. We took advantage of this as well. And um, the format that I go off the show with is, um, you know, I, I do more of an interview based show, much like yourself. The, thing about mainstream media is that's dying and that we can blatantly see that we're surrounded by fake news and a lot of the stories and the opinions i mean they're just regurgitated and thrown around 20 million different ways to sunday this is a great opportunity for just anyone in everyone world and that's the great thing i love about my podcast i can talk to people from coast to coast and everything in between i can be heard in different countries 
and I'm providing the content that's authentic, that's real, and most importantly, it's from the source. And it's from people that typically aren't going to get the shake that they're going to get if, let's say, you were already essentially in bed with Fox, CNN, MSNBC, all the mainstream sources. So what this has done is it's given a great opportunity for alternative media to really take hold. And it's no longer just the left. It's everyone. Everyone can take advantage of this. And it's an amazing opportunity to go out there and create something amazing. Yes, and then your show does a really good job of bringing really interesting guests and talking about modern issues. So you've definitely taken advantage of that opportunity. Now, as far as actually the technical aspects of your podcast, one, like how do you host your podcast? Do you use a service like Buzzsprout or Libsyn or Podbean? And two, sort of what is the actual like uh, machinery you use, like what programs you use? You've already mentioned GarageBand, but also any microphones, anything like that you use for your setup. Yes. Yeah. So let's kind of go one by one. First, I'll talk about hosting. Um, we started about a year ago, and before we actually started the first season of the show, we took about six months to really market it and redo our research. Um, we're a little bit less advanced than a lot of other more professional podcasts, but I don't think we're necessarily at a disadvantage because we have a good grasp on things. I went with SoundCloud because I already had a very well-established audience and it had really easy analytics track tracking software. Not as, um, not as, you know, good as Lisbon and the others, but I'm pretty impressed with SoundCloud because it was a little more affordable from there. I also have, uh, I call it a, a pairing host through blueberry. It's, I, I think it's pronounced blueberry, but the way it's spelled is blueberry. So it's, B-L-U-B-R-R-Y, so Blueberry or Blueberry, whatever. And uh, Blueberry helps track everything else from Stitcher, um, TuneIn, and other podcasting podcatchers, in a sense, like Pod Directory and others. And recently, we got the show on Auto Radio, and Auto is different because it doesn't necessarily get in the same traffic in terms of of what our blueberry analytics come with. So SoundCloud just tracks all of our SoundCloud listens. Um, blueberry catches everything else from all of our other apps and platforms. And then auto, the, uh, the auto radio caster, the auto caster, it just takes everything from auto. And from there that we use essentially those three, um, different servers and hosts to get, an overall image of how we're doing across everything else, because in terms of our networks and we're on a, a handful of networks, we don't necessarily hear back from them because they have to worry about all their other shows. So we just kind of look at their audience reach. We look at the time that they typically air our episodes. And then we look at the people that are streaming and tuning in at that time. And that gives us a kind of a rough number. We never have a very accurate number, but we always have a pretty good estimate from there. So a lot of people, they might not want to do what we're doing because they want everything in one. And for that, I'd recommend Lisbon or Podbean or Buzzsprout. But, you know, there's nothing wrong with Stitcher because I'm sorry, there's nothing wrong with SoundCloud because you're probably going to end up paying for that because it's worth it because the audience is already there. And you don't have to worry about going over your uh, data usage or your space or anything else. You get pretty good analytics from there. And then Blueberry is absolutely free. And if you go off auto radio, it's free as well. So we're not necessarily at a disadvantage. I think when you just take the time it takes to open up three 
windows and look at all your analytics, you're essentially saving a lot more money than you would if you just put it towards Lisbon. So it's a, a few extra steps, but you know, at the end of the day, I look at the dollars and cents. Yeah. So in terms of equipment, um, we just use GarageBand to edit the show and everything because it's free on my producers, MacBook Air. It has everything we need. A lot of people will spend a lot of money on audio mixers and soundboards and everything else. But, you know, we're a pretty simple show. GarageBand has everything we need. So we just kind of go with that. In terms of um, a microphone, I use um, an Audio-Technica. 2100. I love it. Originally, when I first started out, because I had a, a $50 donation when the show was first starting, I bought um, a Blue Snowball. So it's the blue brand of microphones, and it's kind of like um, a little ball on a tripod. And for just really basic podcasting, it's fine. But the problem is it takes a lot of um, the background noise as a lot of atmospheric interference it takes little echoes and everything else and your voice it distorts it pretty badly so we did that for the first couple episodes as soon as we got some more money in i went ahead and bought the blue yeti microphone which is kind of a um kind of a retro theme and that was great because i could also use it for in-studio interviews because it had a cardioid feature which allows it one person on each end of the microphone to talk in and it's taking in but you know, really good quality audio from both the front of the microphone and the back of the microphone. The only problem with the Yeti, though, is that it if you use it as often as I was using it, it has a fuse problem. So we were about to record an interview, and five minutes before we were about to record, the Yeti died, and we had to resort to using our um, Blue Snowball microphone as a backup because we had kept it. So recently, I went ahead and bought the Audio Technica, which is about fifty more dollars than the Blue Yeti. It doesn't have all the features of the Yeti, but I'm perfectly fine because it has its own uh, feature, which eliminates plosives, which are the you know words that have a lot of T's or P's or S's. Um, so it eliminates a lot of that. Um, it, it's a really wonderful microphone. I've been having a blast with it so far. It's really cleaned up you know, the whole sound of the show. Apart from that, I still use a plosives filter, which is about $15. So I'll attach it to my table and I'll have the, the filter in front of the microphone just to eliminate it just a little bit more. I mean, the sound is really minute when you compare it with or without the plosive filter, but I just go with it because I have it and I notice the difference. I know there are going to be some other people that are nitpicking. So I go with that as well. Um, what I did purchase as well was I purchased about a $60 sound cage, which I just kind of put around my microphone. So that way it knocks out a lot of the um, echo and the bounce from the walls and everything. And if, let's say, I have to record in my dorm, what I'll do is I'll have it facing the doorway when I know that my dorm mates are going to be on the outside running amok. So that way it eliminates a lot of that sound coming through as well. And uh, that's basically that. And just, you know, I, I use a cheap pair of headsets and uh, I, you know, I don't know why a lot of podcasters spend so much money on just headsets as well. I think it really has to just comfort. You see, if you're like me and uh, I, I'm kind of fuzzy in my left ear, you know, there's an awkward, you know, inside baseball thing. But what I do sometimes is if let's say I use a pair of Apple earbuds, I, I put one earbud in and I leave the other one out because I also like to hear my voice. I don't like putting headsets on 
and it kind of muffles my voice because then it's like, oh, what if I'm speaking too low or I'm speaking too high? So it's just a little a little trick I use, but that's what I do in terms of headsets. But uh, yeah, it's really basic in terms of my setup. Um, I think if you take in, in everything to account, it's probably all under two hundred dollars. And you know we're competing with people that have pretty amazing studio equipment, and they still don't necessarily put those little details into things to make it sound better, even just work on the quality of it. So this is not necessarily a rich man's game to an extent. Um, you know, if you take into account every, every upgrade we've done, we're looking at probably around $500 within a year. But in terms of just the equipment we're using right now, it's around $200. It's the best you can get when it's just you on a shoestring budget and everything sounds good. So you don't need to spend a whole lot of money on a whole lot of things you're not going to use. You just need a couple of really good quality items they need to understand how to work with your equipment. And as soon as you make an equipment a, sl- a slave to you and your producer and you really know it inside and out and you can just work it to whatever you need, it's perfect. And uh, we've been doing pretty good since. Gotcha. And also regarding calls and interviews. So I know you guys said you guys do some in-studio interviews, but you guys also do some remote interviews. And I'm pretty sure you guys record over Skype, right? But which software do you use to yes. record the Skype call? We use Skype Ecamm, which is about $30. Um, Ecamm also has a FaceTime feature, which some people use. I've been on shows where we've had to use the FaceTime feature. But the problem with that is that not everyone has an iPhone. A lot of people have Androids, and they don't have FaceTime. But everyone can download Skype for free. And the Skype Ecamm app, um, once you download it, they give you the license for up to two different um, computers. So we have it on both of my brother's laptops. Uh, eventually, I'm going to be you know, moving. So what we had to do is we had to purchase another Ecamm license. So I'm going to put it on my laptop, and I'm saving it. So eventually, when I upgrade, um, because my laptop right now is, I mean, my Toshiba's like, dying on me it's going all schizophrenic dying battery's terrible it just has no space i mean i'm gonna have to get a new one i'm gonna buy it for that for as long as i need it eventually i'm gonna upgrade i already have the ecam license for up to two computers i'm gonna go ahead and put the other one on my upgrade and i'm good from there so it's only an extra 30 dollars and uh i mean it's great it's what a lot of people use it's what the blaze uses Believe it or not, the the Blaze, if you watch them, they just use Skype and they use Ecamm. So then from there, they could rip the audio and they could put it into the, you know all their podcast networks. And I mean, I'm pretty sure Jason Stapleton uses that. Mark Claire was the one that told me about Ecamm. It's incredibly cheap and it's the most reliable thing out there. So I, I really stand by Ecamm. Okay, gotcha. Now, when, once the podcast started, you had to get the word out. What strategies did you use to get the word out about the podcast? I was already at kind of a dis- – I'm sorry, not disadvantage. I was already at an advantage compared to a lot of people because I had a really popular blog, and uh, I was a syndicated blogger for about a year. And apart from that, I was also a campaign consultant and a community organizer, so I already had a public profile. Um, so when the show came out, well, when the show was announced, I already had a pretty dedicated group of people. Um, I fell into the trap of what a lot of people did. I threw a bunch of money on Facebook ads 
But the thing is, unless you really know your target data and everything else, it's going to be really difficult to put it, to actually get people to click on your thing. And after they click it, you're hoping that they don't press dislike at some point. So I, I burned a lot of money on Facebook. I would not advise putting money on Facebook ads unless you're putting like a good, you know, three digit number in there at minimum. Um, I know other people when they're boosting a post, they'll put like three to ten dollars per boost for something. So a lot of podcasts, what they'll do is they'll boost their episodes. I wouldn't do that until you're probably around two thousand people, and you know you have good, um, you know, like Facebook engagement with people. People are liking and commenting and sharing your stuff. If you're on a page where people aren't really engaging with what you're posting. It's probably not a good idea to put money in there because it means that people aren't interested in your content to begin with. So I, there are a lot of things that you could do. I recommend go on Fiverr and get a social media consultant But what, because what they'll do is they'll go ahead and audit your page. They'll look at all your analytics, and then what they'll do is they'll help kind of walk you through how to get more user engagement. But what I did do eventually was, um, you know, I, I already had several just, you know, because I'm not, I'm so technologically illiterate, Alex. It's really embarrassing. Uh, I got a free poster maker through the App Store on iTunes. I just made a whole bunch of memes and graphics and posters promoting the show, and I'd ask my friends to share them and everything. You know, a lot of people are embarrassed to ask people to like their page or to share their stuff. But, I mean, that's that's free help right there. And, you know, it quickly separates the people that are your friends from the people that just say, oh, well, you know, maybe one day I'll help you or maybe I'll help you down the road. It, it kind of shows you who you can ask when you need something. So take advantage of the free stuff right there. Um, from there, what I did was when we started putting out some promo episodes on YouTube, we used Google AdWords. Um, we got a lot more uh, bang for our buck with that. I think for about 20 bucks, we ended up reaching about 300 people within a couple hours with one of our YouTube videos. And uh, the target reach there was Maryland, D.C., and Virginia, and we got a big hold on that specific audience, and we've been able to grow our listenership in Virginia, D.C., and Maryland since that, a lot of the topics on our show are you know, regional-based as well. So that really helped us out. And then uh, you know, going on other shows, I mean, the very first show I was on as a guest was the Johnny Rocket Launchpad. That really helped my exposure because a lot of people are looking for new talent and everyone needs a guest to kind of fill the space every once in a while, because not every guest is going to be a giant all-star, but every guest fills a space here and there. And I think I was the space filler at the time, but I got enough time to talk about my show and give people kind of an idea as to how I am. So it was that it was, um, you know, taking the opportunity to, share my stuff around for the places that I was writing for. I asked them if I could pitch my show and a couple articles and I did. So I was a little bit lucky because I took a large amount of time to market the show before it even began. And then from there I put out a couple like two to five minute long promo episodes where all I did was just talk about funny stories of my life so that people could get an idea as to who I was as a host. So when the first episode came out, it wasn't really just me kind of regurgitating as to who I am. I wanted to just hit the ground running of how I wanted the show to be instead of it being another, this is how I became a libertarian type of thing. So it took a lot of time and patience. I wasted a lot of money not doing things smartly, not doing my research. 
But, you know, you, you only have a certain amount of time and a certain amount of opportunity to really take advantage of things to reach a mass audience. And uh, sometimes that just comes with patience. Sometimes, you know, as an entrepreneur, you should not be afraid to ask for help, for help because that is the thing that helps you sometimes. You know, I think libertarians, we want to be so independent sometimes. We don't say, hey, I need assistance because I think everyone wants to see each other succeed. And especially in the liberty community, you know, we want to make freedom fun again. And this is how you make it grow. I mean, my show wouldn't have really been able to start at all if a friend of mine didn't give me 50 bucks to buy a cheap microphone because that cheap microphone helped me put out the first couple mini episodes those first couple mini episodes helped me grow an audience when i had an audience i took some time and i released a pilot by the time i released the pilot i got some sponsors by the time i released some sponsors i had a whole season one planned out and because of donors and other people We've been able to invest it right back in the show. And, you know, guys, this is not a full-time gig for me. I'm not rich off the podcast, but I don't necessarily, you know, as Jason Stapleton once said, I don't eat what I kill immediately. All the money from the show goes to pay my producer, Ryan, and then it goes back into the equipment and marketing and making it the best quality show I could put out there. So... I think I've used money from the show one time and it was to get my car washed because I was low on cash. That was it. But it's understanding that, you know, if you want to treat this as a business, if you want to be able to not lose money in the process of doing this, because this can become an expensive hobby really fast, you've got to be smart with your money. You've got to be patient with your time. And, uh, you know, it takes a long time to build up. But like I said, I took advantage of the free stuff, a free poster maker. I took advantage of people that needed spaces filled on their show. I was talking to a friend of mine that recently started a podcast recently, and he was like, man, I'm not reaching people on Facebook. I was like, well, do you have a Google Plus account? And he was like, no. I'm like, go do that. Do you have a Twitter account? He's like, no, go do that. Literally, go on a show or a person that's similar to the topic field you're, you're discussing, and Twitter's not as personal as Facebook is. Go on Twitter and literally follow every person imaginable. And if you follow like a thousand people on a page, which is kind of similar to yours, you're probably going to get like half of those people following you back. And of like, you know, let's say you followed a thousand people and 500 following you back. I bet at least, you know, more than half of those people are going to end up tuning into your show and you're going to grow and they're going to retweet it and things are just going to go out of control. But taking advantage of the things out there that are free. And really, you know, owning that and making sure you've got a solid base before you start moving onward from there. Gotcha. And tell us a little bit about, because you mentioned that the money that you've made for the show so far has gone to, you've reinvested back into the show. But how have you monetized your podcast? Um, affiliate marketing is probably the easiest thing you could do. Um it comes in terms of, uh, you know, having a custom link or making sure that people go to your website and they click on a certain tab because what you do is you're essentially selling products for people hoping that other people are going to do it. It's like, you know, my mom used to sell longer burger baskets. You know, it's not necessarily like I call it the longer burger model where you're buying a whole bunch of things cheaply and you're hoping that you can go ahead and sell it for a profit. When it comes to affiliate marketing, you know, one of our sponsors is Libertarian Country. What I tell people on the show is if they go to my website and they click on like the support tab, they'll see 
a link for libertarian country. And when they click on that link, every sale they make, uh, I get a small commission from that. Or if I'm putting on Facebook because I have a really good Facebook fan base, I'll put out a custom link from there. When they click that and they buy anything, I get a commission from that as well. So it's essentially free money hawking other people's products. But, you know, it, it brings in money here and there. Uh, apart from that, it's also having really great and loyal sponsors that share your vision like yourself, Alex. You've been an amazing sponsor for the past year, and we have a great working relationship because we want to make freedom fun again. And uh, that as well. So I have people that directly sponsor the show each season. And, um, you know, then it gets to the awkward part for a lot of people. It's donation. You know, something I've had to do with the various campaigns I've been a part of is I've had to learn how to fundraise a lot of money. So sometimes you need to crowdfund. For example, Ryan and I needed to get to CPAC, and we didn't have the money to really finance that trip and finance everything else. What we did was we were basically crowdfunding it. We were like, guys, these are this is our goal. Help us get there. And we wanted about $500, but we raised about um, 175 or so. You know, we wanted 500, but that 175 already paid off our initial expenses, such as travel and lodging. So just asking, you know, we don't ask enough sometimes. And when we do ask, we don't ask at the appropriate times or for the appropriate things. But, you know, the crowdfunding model is great because that's volunteerism in action. It's people that have feel that they have a stake in your show because they appreciate the content you're putting out there. They want to contribute some way. And sometimes what you have to do. It was, you know, you have to offer incentives. It's like, oh, if you donate this amount of money, maybe you'll get a hat or a T-shirt. So that's what I do. So it really comes down to three streams of income. It's donations, it's direct sponsors, and that's affiliate marketing. And, um, you know, that's something that a lot of people don't do. They expect people to come to us. But, you know, uh, I think 90% of your time when you're not recording or working on pushing out your episodes, it should be finding people, you know, something that you need to expect pretty immediately when you're going out and you're asking people to sponsor your show is you're going to hear no a lot. I can go to 10 different businesses and organizations and individuals. And I could say, Hey, would you like to sponsor my show? And nine out of 10 of them are going to say no, but I don't get discouraged because you're going to find a lot of no's, but eventually you're going to find a yes. And that yes is what ultimately pays. So it's, patience and persistence when it comes to that um it's a little bit difficult but it's ultimately what's worth it because you'd never get what you don't ask for and what you don't work for and it's going to be really discouraging before it becomes really rewarding gotcha and as we wrap up the interview um give everybody one last uh pitch regarding your podcast why they should subscribe where they can subscribe and other ways they can get involved well, guys, the mission is simple. We want to make freedom fun again. And the Remster Republic, you know, we're really trying to branch out. We're touching all parts of culture. Uh, next season, we have Chuck Dixon, who was the creator of Bane from Batman. I'm so excited to talk to him. We have uh, the creator of the indie comic Night Wasp coming on. But then again, we have some fantastic candidates coming on, such as Morgan Zegger. She's a um, 21-year-old candidate for New York State Assembly. We have uh, several other libertarian candidates and Republicans running here in Virginia. We have – oh, shoot. We, we have at least 42 people coming on. We have Alex coming on for his race, for a comptroller. 
we have oh, wow i mean just just go on www.remsorepublic.com that's r e m s o republic.com and you can see the full list there i'm so excited for this because guys when you're having fun with what you're doing when you really enjoy what you're doing and you treat it like a business instead of just a side project you're going to make better decisions. You're going to make decisions that help you grow and succeed and prosper. And that's how winning is done. And this is an amazing opportunity we have because the Internet is just, you know, it, it's a land of opportunity where we can connect with people from all walks of life all over the world to mutually benefit each other. And I'm hoping that the Remsa Republic is part of that community of making freedom fun again. So definitely check me out on Facebook at Remso W. Martinez. And you can follow me on Twitter at Remso 101. And if you have any questions, you want to learn how to get involved with the show or how to listen to it or donate or sponsor or anything else, you can always go to RemsoRepublic.com. Thank you very much, Remso. Uh, and, and thank you for being on the show. No problem, Alex. Thanks again. Stay up to date with the latest news and updates by visiting remzorepublic.com.